must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Please be seated. Thanks for being here today. I want to start by uh, asking you a question. Okay? So here's the question. You ready? You don't have to answer out loud. I just want you to think about it. Why is it so hard to try and be different than you are? Just think about it for a moment. Why is it so hard to try and be different than, than you are? I think for the average person, life moves forward and we become a little bit more of who we are. And it's hard to notice a day at a time. It's like when, you know, you see a relative once a year and every time you see them, you say, oh my gosh, you've grown so much. Well, they've been growing the whole time, but you only see it, you know, sporadically or, you know, when you, when you see them. But if you look back over the years of your life, you'll probably discover that this has changed in recent history, but you, you probably have been working the job that you've been working. You probably keep eating the food that you like to eat. Your diet probably hasn't expanded that much. Um, you probably spend time with the people that you normally spend time with. You probably are still keeping the secrets that you've always kept. And the, result, the results of these choices are not all bad. Some of this is just survival, uh, you know, biologically, that our brain preserves energy by automating some things each day or each month or each year. And so some of this is very natural and it's not that it's bad and all the outcomes of our decisions are not bad. But when those really invigorating moments of inspiration come along, you know what I'm talking about? You know, a couple of times a year, there are these moments of invigorating inspiration where you say, you know what, I'm going to be different. I'm going to change. I want a different life. I want a different kind of life. I want to be a different person. I want to change things. When those moments, those rare moments of inspiration appear in our life, the opportunity for new relationships or physical health or spiritual connection if we were being honest, wouldn't we admit that it feels almost impossible to do anything different than we've always done? Maybe not initially. Maybe initially there is this kind of spurt of adrenaline and excitement and, and action. And, and, and so you would say, you know what? This is it. This is it. I finally did it. I'm finally turning in the corner. I'm finally going to change. I'm finally going to be different. And then three months later, six weeks later, two weeks later, not only do you, are you disappointed in the results, but now you're also disappointed in yourself. You feel shame, you feel regret, condemnation, because once again, you have fallen short of this idea of change that you had in your mind. I told you last week that I have been thinking about this idea of change a lot in the last year, just really trying to figure out how we change as people of faith. And so today we're starting a series of messages called Shapes. Hopefully you've picked up on that. And, and the description for this series that we've given is it's a series about why you are who you are and how you can change if you want to, which I came up with that. I was kind of proud of that. Uh, it's a mouthful. Um, but let me tell you why 
I, I came up with that and why it's important, why we're taking five weeks to talk about it, okay? You are becoming something without even trying. I want you to hear that. Every person in this room, we are becoming something without even trying. Right now, as we breathe in through our nose and breathe out of our mouth, as my son Ezekiel says, smell the flowers, blow out the candles. (laughs) As we are doing that, we're being shaped. Right now, in this moment, you're being shaped, whether you realize it or not, that you are becoming a kind of person. You are thinking thoughts and feeling emotions, some of them new, but most of them old. You are further cementing those, or maybe just maybe you are uh, birthing something new. I want to show you uh, an image that I've shown you five or six times that I will be showing you a lot, but this is the structure of the soul or the structure of self. We've talked about this a lot. They're gonna put it up on the screen for you, but this is just a a basic diagram to explain why we are how we are and who we are. And at the top is our physical self. It's our actions. It's the public life that people see. Underneath our our, our public physical uh, actionable life is our thoughts. And then beneath our thoughts are our emotions. And then beneath our emotions are our beliefs. And then beneath our beliefs are our desires. This is the makeup of of who we are. And the reason I'm showing this to you uh, uh, again is because every moment of your life, you are either chasing after what you want or you're trying to hold on to what you want. You're either pursuing your deepest desires or you're trying to not lose what you have that you really want. And whether you realize it or not, you are either cementing and confirming your deepest held beliefs or you are trying or, or, or you, are, you are shaping or, or creating, I should say, new beliefs. Your deepest desires and your deeply held beliefs are always in play at every moment of your life. And we don't have the brain capacity or the energy to be thinking about that at all times, but it's, it's happening behind the scenes. It's happening beneath the surface of our lives that our deepest desires and our deeply held beliefs are, are driving who, who we are. We're never staying the same. Every thought, every feeling, every action is forming or establishing or, or reestablishing our identity. The word identity was originally derived from Latin words uh, "assentitas," which means being, and "identitum," which means repeatedly. So, so identity literally means repeated being. Who you repeatedly are is your identity. So, each time you repeat a behavior or a thought, you are reinforcing who you believe you are. So I want you for a moment to consider all of the repeated behaviors in your life, the way you gain attention or the way you spend money or the way you handle conflict or the way that you cope or the way that you show love, just to name a few of the actions that we have. Every time you act like you, you are confirming that you are who you think you are. Let me say that again. Every time you act like you, Somewhere in your brain, your body goes, okay, we are who I thought we were. So I don't have to change it. We are who we thought we were. Every time you want to get healthy physically, but then you give in and eat the chips, your brain goes, man, that was a crazy four days, but we are who we were the whole time, right? (laughs) Every time, time you try not to yell at your kids, but three days later you explode, your brain goes, okay, just making sure we are who we thought we were the whole time, right? 
and we get pulled back into who we always were. So these next five weeks are about the forces in your life that have shaped your deepest desires and your deeply held beliefs. If our life is driven by our deepest desires and our deeply held beliefs, where do they come from? Where do we get them? Where do we get them? Well, um, I'm going to give you five places that we got them, and there's more than five. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are so you can know where we're going over these next five weeks. I really want to encourage you. I know the weather is unpredictable, and I know COVID is like, you know, spreading like the chicken pox. But uh, I would encourage you to be here. I want to welcome everybody watching online. A lot of you texted and said, I wish I could be there, but I can't. But I'm, I'm watching. So let me go ahead and give you the, the five uh, things we're going to be talking about. Um, the five formative influences, things that are shaping our lives maybe more than all the others. Uh, number one is family of origin or the foo, if you want to sound cool when you say it, your foo, your family of origin. Uh, trauma, culture, habits, and relationships. Family of origin, trauma, culture, habits, and relationships. I see some of you writing. Let me say it one more time. Family of origin, trauma, culture, habits, and relationships. These five influences shape our deepest desires and form our deeply held beliefs. So let me ask you the question that I asked you at the beginning. Why is it so hard to try and be different than you are? The answer is because the influences that have shaped you are much stronger than your willpower and your motivation. The forces that have shaped you up until now are much stronger than your willpower and your motivation. But, and this is a big but, this is what makes you being here different than being at some seminar or being in some course. But the good news is that as Christians, as people of faith, we have the power of Jesus The Spirit of God. The Bible says the same Spirit that resurrected the dead body of Jesus Christ. Living on the inside of you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the power of Jesus Christ. You are not helpless and you are not hopeless. Self-help will help you a little bit, but eventually you realize you can't help yourself. And so we don't need just self-help. We need the spirit of God. And the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become a new creature. Now, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus today, you are your only hope. And that's depressing. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, then you have the spirit of Christ inside of you. And it's not easy. And it's definitely not automatic. But the faith of Jesus, your faith in Jesus, gives you the power to change. Okay? So let's get started this week first by talking about family of origin, our family of origin, our foo. Okay? So my seven-year-old, Solomon, is uh, he's a hoot, man. And uh, he's too smart for his own good. And most of the stuff he says I can't repeat up here because he's (laughs) his brain moves faster than his mouth. But... um, he went to school recently and uh, he was in class and the teacher wanted to do a rhyming exercise. So that, cause they were trying to learn words and vocabulary and sight words, you know how this is parents. And so the teacher says, okay, we're gonna do, we're gonna do rhyming words. I'm gonna say a word and you tell me a word that rhymes with the word that I said. And so they're working through the words. And at one point the teacher says, bell. So 
that day, Solomon gets off the bus and he's crying. And I said, Solomon, what's wrong, buddy? He said, I got in trouble at school. I said, why did you get in trouble at school? She said, well, my teacher was doing rhyming words and she said, bell. And she said, what worm rhymes with bell? And dad, you know. I said, hell. And I got in trouble. I said, really? She's like, but I told her. My dad says that all the time. I said, well, that's, but that's true. I, I do say that a lot. I tell you that story because it's funny, but there are certain words that you say because your, your mom and dad said it all the time. There are certain behaviors that you repeat because your mom and dad did it all the time. Or you're, I'm going to say mom and dad a lot today, but I really mean the people who raised you. Um, there, there, are, uh, there are ways of life that you, like Solomon, think like, why did I get in trouble? Like, that's that. we say that, we do that, we think that, we feel that, this is what we do. It's very, it's very normal for the home that you are, are raised in. And so if I were to follow you around for a day or a week and I were to stop you each time you responded a certain way or I was able to know how you felt about certain things when they happened or I could see your secret bad habits or vices or know what you wanted for most of us. Now, I'm not trying to just, I'm gonna paint with some broad brushes, but for most of us, whether we realize it or not, most of those things would be very similar to the people who lived in the house that we were raised in, for most of us. We are not clones, We are not helpless. We do have the power of choice, but our lives, our feelings, our desires, our beliefs, our responses look very much like the people uh, of the home that we were raised in. We act like and feel like and think like our, our food, our family of origin. Our normal, our normal is defined by our, our family of origin. I read some interesting research the other day uh, about a a thing called uh, joint visual orientation. And it was really cool. It was interesting because it was, they were, um, these, these scientists, these researchers were trying to discover how young an infant could be when they were able to pick up on what's important to their parents. And the way that they studied this was by eye contact. So what they discovered is that a, a child as young as 18 months old can watch the eyes of adults in their life. And by watching what the adults in their life look at, they are able to attain or infer what is important to the adults in their life. Is any adult in the room scared right now that kids are watching our eyes and determining what's important? 18 months old. Infants are able to do this. So they did this study uh, or this, this, this little experiment where they took, they, they made this, um, just think of like a dumb, dumbbell uh, muscle, uh, muscle, weight, a dumbbell weight. And, um, and they, uh, they, they took it and they, were, they had the adult in the room. It was like made out of foam, but the adult was acting like it was heavy. And so they had the adult trying to like pull the top off of one of the sides of the weight, like trying to pull it. And the adult would fake acting like they were straining, like, ah, you know, and trying to get it. And their hand would just keep slipping off. It would just, you know. And the the 18-month-old child is watching the entire time. And then they took the fake weight and they handed it to the child. 
And what they wanted to see was, was, was the child going to reenact the adult? In other words, was the child going to strain and have their hand come off? Or was the child going to try to accomplish what their parents were trying to accomplish but couldn't? And what they found was that eight out of ten times, the child, 18 months old, would take the weight and they would pull the top right off. It would come off very easily. And this was really powerful research because what they came to realize is that kids as young as 18 months old don't just reenact their parents' behaviors. They try and accomplish their parents' desires. Let me say that again. Kids as young as 18 months old don't just replicate or reenact their parents' behaviors. They try to accomplish their parents' parents' desires all by watching their eyes. And this is true in a lot of different ways, but the reality for so many of us in the room, no matter how old we are, is we have been living our life, most of us, trying to accomplish what we deemed at a young age was really important to the people who raised us. I know I have. Every man in my family is a pastor. I believe with all of my heart God called me to pastor, but if he wouldn't have called me to pastor, I don't know what I would have done. Because in my life and in my mind, every important man was a spiritual leader. So as young as 18 months old, when I see my parents looking at a Bible or standing on a stage or a microphone or a congregation, my brain at 18 months old is already interpreting what is most important. Thank God it was the Bible and not heroin, but it still was how I was being interpreted and could have ramifications in my life. And so when we start talking about families, it can get really uncomfortable really quickly. Some of you right now are like, oh my goodness, I don't want to go here. I don't want to talk about this. Good for you, Jason, and your Bibles. But I don't want to to do this. And I've found that when people talk about their childhood, they typically talk about it in one of two ways. They either talk about it like a perfect childhood, like, oh, it was amazing. You know, it was just perfect. Or they talk about it in like a terrible, uh, it's the worst thing that's ever happened. Very few people have the perspective of like, you know, it was good and it was bad. It was like, man, perfect. And then at some point in your life, that gets shattered and there's a disorientation or awful. And no matter what, you can't see any good from it at all. Our memories are generally very positive or very negative. Now, where it gets tricky is we tend to think that only bad, quote unquote, families negatively impact their children. That's not true. It's not true. And this is a really important point. So I want you to make sure you get this, that because your parents were sinners, because of the fall of of man, because of Adam and Eve, because of the sin that is in their heart, and their life, and because their parents were sinners, and because their parents were sinners, and because you, from the moment you started breathing, are a sinner. The way that we interpret life, we interpret it through a sinful lens, okay? So, so even in the best case scenario, the fact that we are sinful people means that we can take the best things and mess them up. Not can, we take the best things and we mess them up. So let me show you what I mean, okay? Let me give you a couple scenarios. Um, you could take a home that you were raised in, and you could take a home where everyone yells all of the time. If, you, if you're married, you probably married an opposite, so their family is probably opposite of yours. Um, but you, you kind of see this. But you can take a family that yells all the time. And, and, and it would be easy to step back and go, oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's really doing some bad things to the people in that house. They're yelling all the time. But you could also go to a house where no one ever yells ever. 
and think, well, at least they're not yelling. But they're not processing anything. They're not processing emotions at all. No one is honest with anybody. Everyone sweeps everything under the rug. And so it's easy to say, well, you shouldn't yell. Great, good point. But that doesn't mean that no yelling is necessarily doing only good things in the lives of people. We can mess both things up. Or maybe, maybe you were raised in church, and that's a good thing, you know, um, that, that you were raised in church. And we'd say, oh, well, that's really good. But then you could also be overly religious. And you could have all sorts of, this is a lot of your story. You could say, well, yeah, I mean, we were raised in church. But, man, when I got older, I had to really, like, deconstruct a lot of stuff because I, was, I didn't know. And it was just like, it was, I wasn't really sure. One feels better, but both shape how you feel about God. Maybe there's a house that's with severe discipline, you know, and you would say, well, no, that's good. You need discipline. You know, spare the rod, spoil the child. But then you, you, that we could say, well, that's good or bad. But then you could go to a house with no discipline and they, and both homes are shaping how, what we believe to be true about authority and rules or behavior. Too much attention in a home versus absolutely no attention. We could say, well, man, helicopter smothering parent, that's not good. But then you say no attention at all, and, and what we are seeing is that whether we get too much attention or no attention or whatever, it's shaping how we feel about our self-importance. So it's not just a bad family or a stereotypical bad habit. Good families and bad families, and I'm using those in quote-unquote here, were, that, that we were raised in shapes our desires, our beliefs, and our actions. You could say that, that, either, that, that either it was modeled for us what we should do or it was modeled for us what we shouldn't do, but it was modeled one way or the other. And, 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 and that influence on our life is a powerful force, it's a powerful force. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about families. The Bible talks a lot about families. And when the Bible uses the word family, it means it in the Jewish sense. So it's not just talking about immediate family. It's talking about families to third and fourth generation. So anytime you're reading about family in the Bible, you're reading about three and four generations. A lot of homes were multiple generational uh, housing. And according to the Bible, three to four generations of family has an impact on who you are today. And I want you to think about that for a second. That people who you are related to, to in your bloodline all the way back to the 1900s to 1920, their life, their actions, their deeply held beliefs, their desires, their emotions have an effect on who you are today a hundred years later, according to the Bible. And I'm going to show you this. Grayson read our scripture for us today in Exodus 20. I don't know if you're paying attention, but it's kind of a depressing scripture. And God said, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. The NIV, that was NLT. The NIV says, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, what does that mean? Let me just take a deep breath. Come on, smell the flowers, blow out the candles. All right, just what does that mean that God would say, I'm gonna punish the children the sins of the parents for the third and fourth generation. I'm gonna tell you what it means, okay? So that word punish, remember the Bible is translated from an original language, which the Old Testament is is Hebrew and the New Testament is Greek. So so there was a word in Hebrew that that word punish means, and that word is pakad. P-A-Q-A-D is how it would look. It spells like C, or pronounce it like C, pakad. 
Okay, so in Hebrew, that word punish means pakad, and the the best definition for the word pakad is consequences that repeat, or or the consequences consequences becoming fully known. Okay, so when we think punish, we think jail, spanking. Uh, solitary confinement, but the Hebrew word there, it means consequences that repeat or the consequences becoming fully known. So if you read it in that sense, God is saying that, that the consequences of the parents' sins will repeat three to four generations or the consequences of the parents' sins will become fully known over three to four generations. To which we all go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the sins, the mistakes, the habits three to four generations ago tend to repeat themselves or the consequences become known. I want you to think for just a moment about the, uh, the stories that you know, the experiences you know, the tragic stories and experiences that you know of, of alcoholism or divorce or adultery, or addictive behavior, or sibling rivalry, or pregnancy out of wedlock, or sexual abuse, or conflict, or crime. If you think about these tragic scenarios, and you looked at a family tree, and you looked at the behaviors in that family tree, and you think about your own family, you would be able to go, you know what, there's a lot of similarities here over three to four generations. It seems as if the consequences, or the, 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 um, Uh, repeating the repetitive behavior or the consequences of the behavior seem to be showing up. Great-great-grandpa, you know, there was a divorce, but then his kids, there was a lot of divorces, and then their kids, there was a lot of divorces, or he was an alcoholic, but then it ran here, but then it ran here, or, uh, you know, they, they, they went to jail, but then their kids went to jail, but then their kids... It's true on the positive side too, but a lot of times it's easier to recognize on the negative side as well. This is what Exodus, this is what God was saying to Moses. He wasn't saying that because somebody did something three or four generations ago, you're going to have to necessarily pay the punishment for it. But he is saying in a lot of ways, you are paying the punishment for it through the consequences revealing themselves or being the the actions being repeated. Now, there's a valid question at this point in the conversation right now. And the valid question is, why does it matter? You're like, thanks for bringing it up. I feel worse about myself and my family. Can't we just move on and forget or ignore? Doesn't, doesn't the Bible say that we're new creatures in Christ, Jason? Like, why we got to talk about all that, man? That's really painful. It matters because it shaped us. It shaped you. Your family of origin is probably the strongest formative influence in your life. And to be the person that God wants you to be requires you to go back to understand how your family of origin shaped and formed you into the person that you are. Because we become Christians. If you put your faith in Jesus, you've become a Christian. Maybe you've began following the ways of Jesus. But subconsciously, unintentionally a lot of times, you follow the tendencies and patterns of your families. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again. Praise Jesus. And you're born into a new family, the family of God. Praise Jesus for that. But you still have old, deep desires and old, deeply held beliefs. You still have old values and habits and behaviors. 
I love the way Pete Scazzaro says it. He says, Jesus lives in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. That's it right there. Jesus lives in your heart. Thank you for that. But grandpa and grandma and Uncle Tommy, they're in your bones. And sadly, when we look deep beneath the surface of our lives, most of us are not doing anything fundamentally different from what our families did. And, and even more tragic than that is, is that if we were to go to the non-believers, the non-Christians in our family, and we were to look at the believers or the, or the people of faith in our family, the faith in Jesus is different, but the underlying beliefs, desires, behaviors, emotions, reactions, and responses are not even that different. To which we look at and go, why? Why hasn't a faith in Jesus changed me more than that? It's because you have been shaped. You've been shaped. I want you to think about some of the famous stories in the Bible. If you're familiar with these stories, think about Abraham in the book of Genesis. Abraham was a man of faith. He was, uh, he was a faithful man. But if you know anything about the story of Abraham, he had a tendency. When Abraham got nervous or afraid, he lied. He was an awesome guy. Followed Jesus, left his family. Like in modern terms, like he, he got on a plane and flew to Africa. Like he followed God. But when he got afraid, his tendency was to lie. Well, when you go a little bit farther in the story, he had a son, Isaac. And what you find is that Isaac seemed to be a pretty good dude. But when Isaac got afraid, he lied. Matter of fact, the stories are so similar. He did exactly what his dad did in the same exact scenario. Well, Isaac had a son. His name was Jacob. You know what Jacob's name meant? Liar. Deceiver. So Abraham was awesome, but had a tendency to lie when afraid. Isaac seemed to be a pretty solid guy, but tend to lie when he was afraid. And Jacob's name meant liar. Jacob had 12 sons. Oh, by the way, Jacob conned his dying father into getting the inheritance and ran away from home. And then Jacob had 12 sons and 11 of those sons staged the fake murder of their brother and then went home and lied to their father and said, he's dead, but he wasn't dead. Think about that. Repeating. Or the story of David. Most people know the story of David, David and Goliath. David was the youngest son of seven. And we can't read into it too much. That wouldn't be fair. But we know there had to be some, some kind of, of issue in the family because when, when, the, when the prophet showed up to anoint the next king, his dad didn't even invite him in. There was obviously some type of preferential treatment given to the kids, he had some daddy issues, maybe. We, we can't know for sure. We do know that David had an affair. David had a couple of different wives and a couple of children with each of those wives. And we know that there was preferential treatment given by David to some of his different kids. And we know that, that, that his son Absalom had major dad issues. And we know that within the family, there was sexual assault and infidelity and we know that Solomon, what took Solomon out was what we would call today sexual addiction. Repeating, repeating. 
We could keep going and looking at these models in the Bible, or we could look at the models in your family. And it would be very easy in, in that to feel guilt and shame and defeated or condemned. But what I want to do for just the few moments that we have left is I want to just focus on the end of, of the story of Joseph. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Joseph. We see these things repeating in their family. Joseph is sold into slavery and 12 years go by, um, or 20 years go by. Anyway, and he's in prison, in and out of prison, and, and different things happen. And it would have been so easy for Joseph to say, well, you know, my family, they're just liars and jerks and Obviously, God doesn't have any great plans for my life or he wouldn't have let this happen to me. If God really wanted something great for my life, he wouldn't have let me be born into that family with those people. But that's not what he does. If you know anything about the story of Joseph, Joseph uh, finally gets called up by Pharaoh and he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And he's responsible, he's second in command of the, of, the, of the largest empire in the world and he's responsible for all trade and a famine happens, and so he's managing all of the food and all of the import-export. And Now, 20 years later, his brothers who sold him into slavery show up, and they're needing food, and they think, they don't know where Joseph is, and they haven't even thought about it, but, you know, they, don't, they definitely don't think this is him. And Joseph recognizes them immediately, and he plays some games with them because they don't recognize him, and he kind of toys with them a little bit. But eventually, there comes a moment when the brothers are before Joseph, and he decides he's going to reveal himself, who he is to his brothers. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 50, towards the end of the story, verses 18, 19, and 20. It says, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him, talking about Joseph, and says, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Look at what he says in verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done. You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done. As we think about our families and how they shaped us, I believe because we are sinful and our parents were sinful and their parents were sinful, most of the harm that was done to us was totally unintentional. Because you're screwing up your kids right now. If you have kids, you're messing them up. Just heads up. There's nothing you can do to not release kids into the world with some issues. Because we are sinful people. Right? And so whether it was intended or unattended, and I believe most of it was unintended, and I'm not making light of the people who were sexually abused and there was physical violence, and obviously there was some conscious choice being made in those things, so please don't hear that. But for a lot of the things that shaped us, they were unintentional. And it's easy to look back on those things and to pick the flaws of our parents or our grandparents or the people in our house and say, how could you? And why didn't you help me? And how come we didn't process emotion more? And how come you didn't teach me how to do these things? And how come you weren't there for me? It's so easy to look back and to say like, you ruined my life. And if anybody could have done that, Joseph could have done that. But somehow Joseph is able to look back at the most influential, formative shaping thing in his life and say, the only explanation that I have is that what was meant to or could have defined my life negatively 
is somehow, was somehow used by God for something positive and powerful. Because we believe that God chose to birth you to a specific family in a specific place at a specific time. It was not an accident. You were born when you were born, where you were born, to whom you were born to. And so if we hear this and we say, well, I would, obviously, you know, I'm an accident or I should have never been born to them. What we're saying is, God, whatever your plans were, they were wrong. I know better than you. Obviously, that's not what we believe. We can feel that way sometimes. But our faith in God and our belief in who God is means that we also own and wrap our, our arms around the fact that it's not an accident who our parents were or the era we live in. Or the neighborhood that we were raised in. And I'm not saying that God caused everything to happen to you. But we do believe that God causes everything that happens to us. To work together in some way for his purposes. I'm not talking about silver lining. I'm not talking about knowing even the purpose or the reasons in the moment. Or even in this lifetime. But our faith in God does give us faith. That even though we can't understand why, and we would never choose it, God knew what he was doing. And what was intended or unintentionally happened to us that should have defined our lives and ruined our lives, God is using it for something good. He's using it for something good. And the greatest news is that when you put your faith in Jesus, you belong to a new family. You belong to a new family, the family of God. You're not just a church attender. You're not just a part of Hope City Church. You are now a part of the family of God. And can I tell you something? The family of God has people who are sinful in it, which means there are times when the family of God's going to hurt you, make you feel ways you don't want to feel, never intentionally, hopefully never intentionally. You'll be let down. But the good news is that faith in Jesus gives us the power, the, the spirit of Christ, the power to change. And it also adopts us. The Bible uses the language of adoption, that we are now adopted into the family of God. That our family tree doesn't have to define us because while we always will have that family tree, we have a new family tree. And guess who's in our family tree now? Jesus. Jesus. We don't have to be defined by our family of origin, but we have to be aware of it. We don't have to be defined by it, but we have to be aware of it. Before we change, we have to be aware. And so we want the Holy Spirit to help us be aware. We want to be willing to go back, to look back in order to go forward. And I know that for a lot of you in the room, this is an incredibly painful Process. This is a scary idea of looking back in order to go forward because you have blocked it out. You've put it away. You don't want anything to do with it. But there is a season if we want to become the new people that God has created us and has given us the ability to be, there is a time period, there is a process of having to look back in order to move forward. And we'll never be able to become who God wants us to be until we are aware of how our family of origin has shaped us at the deepest levels of our life. Okay? So, 
here's what we've done. If you got a worship guide when you came in, does anybody have one of those? Sorry, I forgot to bring it. If you got a worship guide when you came in, thanks, bud. We have provided a few questions on the back of this for you. Um, and I want to just go through these really quickly. I'm out of time, but I want to go through these really quickly. And I want to encourage you to take some time. Don't rush past this. Maybe you want to do this with someone you trust, maybe a spouse. If you have a counselor, maybe you want to do that. This is not something we speed through. But these are just questions that will help you begin to look at maybe ways that you're being driven and shaped in your life and you didn't realize it by your family. So think through what we call the Ten Commandments of your family. Describe how your family dealt with and interacted the following issues. How did your family deal with money, conflict, sex, grief and loss, expressing anger, family, relationships, attitude towards other cultures, success, feelings, and emotions? Think, think through that. Another question we're asking you is, what pressure did you feel being a part of your family? There was a pressure that was built in, whether you realized it or not. Like to be an Isaacs meant something. To be a part of your family, there was something that you felt like you had to do, had to be. Which kind of goes with the third question. What were the scripts or the unwritten life rules your family had? And one of the best ways, because this is probably a hard question to come up with and take some time. But one of the best ways to figure out the answer to this question is to think about who in your family was the black sheep. And just what did they do? Because whatever they did, they were breaking the rules. So whatever the black sheep was doing, they were breaking the code that your family lived life by. That's one of the ways that you can do that. And then lastly, give an example of where your new family, the family of God, is different from your family of origin. So I want you to take these and listen. The point of these exercises is awareness. You're not going to sit down for coffee one morning and solve all of you, answer all these questions and solve all your problems. We're just asking the Holy Spirit to give us awareness to begin the slow process of becoming the new person that Jesus Christ gives us the ability to be. All right, I wanna pray for us and then Kaylee and the team are gonna come and lead us in one more song. And let me just say this before I pray. Um, As they're leading us in this song, our prayer team, some of our elders are gonna come forward and and maybe you want to come forward together as a family today. I'm not telling you you need to do this or have to do this, or maybe as a, as a, as a couple, or maybe your family of origin is, is influencing your marriage or, or, or your parenting, or maybe there's things happening right now in your family. We, we definitely wanted to give a moment today for you to pray as a family. And so if you want to come forward as a family to one of the people who are praying about whatever's going on, we'd love to to, to do that and to pray with you uh, about that. You can also pray about anything else. This is normal prayer time and communion time. But if you want to pray together as a family, we would love to, to pray with you about that as well, okay? Let me pray. God, thank you for Jesus, for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that my faith gives me the power of Christ to change, to become the person you created me to be. And so God, I I pray right now for every person who's intimidated by the idea of looking back, afraid of looking back. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us the current courage and and the strength to, to look back in order to move forward. Not to live there, not to stay there, not to find blame there, guilt there, but to see what it is the Holy Spirit wants to show us in order to help us move forward and become the new creature in Christ that you have created us to be. 
I'm asking you, God, to be a heavenly father and to come alongside us and to take our hand and to search us and to know us and to point out anything in the way that a loving father would. We do not want to be defined by our family, God. We want to be defined by the cross and by the new family of God. Help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.